Hey everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm Sarah. And we're sisters who just so happen to be best friends. We're here to unpack all of the unexpected moments that come with early adulthood and hope to uncover a more meaningful life, one conversation and cup of coffee at a time. This is Mocha's In The Meantime. Hi everybody and welcome back to Mocha's In The Meantime. It's Rachel. And Sarah. And we're actually recording this again because we lost the file but we're gonna make it even better for this intro take the last one take two yeah um yeah we're really excited for this episode as always we have a really good guest coming up but first we wanted to announce something exciting yeah um we're gonna be concluding this season pretty soon um we only have a couple more episodes but for our last episode I'm actually gonna be coming home for a break and Rach and I are gonna get to record together in person just like the old days yay (laughs) our coffees in hand together we can actually clink (laughs) yeah I'm so excited because even though zoom is great I feel like there's nothing like doing it in person I feel like yeah and now it's exciting because we haven't ever had a guest in person but I'm hoping to change that soon and maybe have a guest that we're like actually in person with which will be really fun I think that's a possibility yeah yeah I think for Mm -hmm. season three that's something I'm hoping we can do because it would I think it would also be cool to see somebody in a coffee shop, like meet up with somebody at a coffee shop and record there with kind of like the background noises of the shop and like the vibe. Um, yeah, I think that would be fun. But anyways, those are some plans, but yeah, like Rach said, we're really excited for, um, this guest that we had on for the episode. Her name's Angel and she was actually my freshman roommate and we lived together sophomore year as well. Um, just so many positive memories with Angel. Uh, she's one of the most like compassionate and caring, most like supportive friends I know. And I think you'll also gather this, but she has a very calming presence. And I was about um, to say she has yeah. a very calm and like good energy to her I always felt like that when I've met her over the years and like hung out here and there with you guys together and she's just very curious about the world and learning and um I I don't know I think I've just learned so much from her over over time and when we welcomed her on the show it got me thinking about some of my favorite memories from college because we spent a lot of time together in college of course we used to go to the dining hall um every day together for lunch and so I think uh a fun question of the week that we had come up with was to uh talk about our best and worst food experiences in the dining hall back when we were in college yeah, I feel like the dining hall is really hit or miss, <laughs> at least in my experience. So I feel like this is a fun question <laughs> to know the best and the worst because yeah, there are some perks. Like I loved having the ice cream machine every day, like that soft serve machine. So clutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just grab a cone and go. Yeah, that was my vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to go first? Do you want to share your top sure the best and worst I think the worst was probably the chicken patties (laughs) I actually liked them (laughs) most of my freshman year but 
my final patty experience was like horrible. I took a bite out of the chicken patty and it was so gristly and like I bit into something hard and oh, that no. just turned me off and disgusted me forever. So what I is it with gristle? Patties. I just hate gristle like cartilage. Ew. Uh, it grosses me out so much. So yeah. that's probably uh. the worst experience I've had. There's been a lot of just kind of mediocre things that were like, eh. but that was the one thing that I like spit out, you know, it was so gross. I had to spit it out, but it sounds awful. Yeah. It's probably the worst, mm-hmm. the best. There was some good food, honestly. I think my favorite was the dessert it was really bomb at my dining hall. And they had these bars that were like rice crispy bars with like chunks of oreos and like chocolate cereal in Mm. them they were so good and I feel like they were kind of just probably the leftover oreos and like leftover cereal but like probably yeah (laughs) so good I didn't even care and it was like kind of the marshmallow um gooeyness to hold together everything Mm-hmm. And it was like an Oreo chocolate cereal rice crispy bar. Those were so good. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds amazing. I haven't had mm-hmm. a rice crispy treat in like quite a while. So Me now neither. I'm actually craving it. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. And like the fries were pretty good. I feel like they were pretty, you know, stable. I mean, they weren't amazing, but stable. they were always a good backup. It's like you they were they like were reliable. Food. Yeah, they were a reliable option. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah, I'm trying to think. The best, though, was definitely those cereal bars. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I think I, I kind of want to go in the opposite order because my best is also a dessert. So kind of like continuing on that thread. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was kind of... I would often like watch the dessert area like for my friends, I'd be the one to go up and kind of see what's available. Because once in a while they'd have really good pie, but it was kind of like a once mm. or twice a month thing. They'd have like really good dessert options. It was like really rare. So I would often just scope it out. But I'd say my favorite thing that they had was they had blondies and those, Ooh. those were a daily thing. So it was dangerous, mm. but the blondies <laughs> were like, they had like white chocolate in them and super super sweet but just so good like so solid Mm -hmm. and everybody loved them like it was a thing at my school that we would get blondies at the end of the meal because it was just like oh the blonde um really rich I was gonna just say at my school because it was way bigger than yours there were like seven dining halls I think and each one kind of had a different reputation (laughs) And like, there was like the best ones and the worst ones. And the one that I went to with my dorm the most, sort of the middle ground, it was like pretty good, but not amazing because it Mm. was the dorm that was extremely far from everything. (laughs) So they didn't have (laughs) as good of options, but it was sort of a hidden gem at the same time. (laughs) Like it was less frequented, frequented. Yeah. It was further away. Yeah. Fresher, I feel like than some of the more popular ones that were kind of like dirtier or something because there were so many students you know yeah oh that's fair yeah it's so different at my school because it was smaller we had two dining halls and it was basically all the freshmen went to one of them and then all the sophomores went to wow that is so different yeah yeah it's very different um 
but yeah, so I'd say that's my favorite was those blondies. And then my freshman year, I was a vegetarian that like, I was a vegetarian for a little while in life. And that was like, kind of when I started doing that. And forgot about that. So I was very reliant on like tofu and beans and such. And the, the cafeteria always had tofu, but I'd say the least, my least favorite, um, food option at the dining hall was these like tofu steaks they had (laughs) it was just I don't know what it what happened I I think it was the type of spices they put on it but I literally I remember getting this tofu steak and taking a bite out of it and just I could not I had to spit it out it was so bad I maybe it was like too much cumin Mm. I just remember it tasted like just awful spice and like maybe like bad thin. oil or something. It was like it was like was a piece of tofu cut in half. So it was like a square of tofu, and I was just like cutting it with a fork and knife, <laughs> like oh. meat. So like it could have been good because oh. I like tofu. Like if it had been seasoned well, but the seasoning was just so strange. I remember for some reason the thought of that big of a tofu chunk is weird to me. I love tofu, but I like it when it's just smaller squares and multiple. Like yeah. the thought of just a huge slab of tofu with like a fork <laughs> and knife. Just, I don't know that. I feel like if it's that thickly cut, it wouldn't have correct like seasoning unless it was marinated really well. I don't know. And I don't think it was. It, it was just not good. Ooh, definitely interesting vibe the dining hall yeah yeah and like in this episode with angel we talked about graduate school so of course it's a very different experience but I think it was just nice to like reminisce a little bit on some of my memories with her because a lot of them were in that in the dining hall so um yeah yeah but yeah I guess we could just get into the episode now since we have a lot of good stuff to to say and um we'll check in again at the end all right Let's welcome Angel on. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Mocha's in the Meantime. Um, Rachel and I are both really, really excited to welcome on one of my good friends. Um, her name is Angel um, to be a part of this episode because we're going to be talking all about graduate school. Um, and Angel actually graduated um, from her program last year. So in May of 2020. And then um, I have a little bit of insight as well as I'm currently in a grad program. So we're really excited to just like talk about our experiences. Um, and also with Angel specifically, I feel like our history kind of started in education, which is kind of cool. It's like a full circle kind of moment, I guess, um, because uh, she was my freshman roommate in undergrad. Um, and we were fast friends then. And um, our friendship has just kind of blossomed over the years, I think. So again, we're really happy to have you here, Angel. Um, and I just wanted to kind of give you the floor and and offer up listeners just a little bit about yourself. And um, yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the introduction, Sarah. Uh, like Sarah said, I was uh, her freshman year roommate and sophomore year roommate as well. And, you know, we've been really great friends ever since. Um, I grew up in the suburb of, of Los Angeles. Um, and like Sarah, I attended Case Western Reserve University and we both graduated in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right after that, I went to pursue my master's in library and information studies at uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, <clears throat> 
And uh, after my graduation, I um, worked for a bit at an archives. I worked at the Center for Railroad Photography and Art here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, and now I'm currently the Data Science and Engineering Diversity Resident Librarian at UW-Madison. Um, and my job, um, I, so I'm based in one of the science and engineering libraries here at UW-Madison. It's such a large campus. We have uh, multiple science and engineering libraries. Wow. And so in my role, I do, um, I teach information literacy, mostly to undergraduates. Um, I also teach uh, like people of all levels um, about research data management. Uh, I assist researchers and students with research. Um, I do reference work and I also serve on various committees, uh, both in and out of my library. And yeah, kind of like Sarah said, you know, I've always loved learning and love being a student. Um, so I'm really grateful to be in a job now where, you know, really I'm always learning new things. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for the introduction. Yeah. And I would echo that. I've always thought of you as kind of like just someone who really values education and just is always learning and like, um, I guess just like always looking for new things to learn more about and expand your horizons about. And that's something I really love about you. So um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks for that introduction. And I know when you guys were friends in undergrad, Sarah would even say like, oh my God, Angel's such a good student. Like she's so, <laughs> like she really had like positive things to say about how like passionate you were about what you were studying. So it's really cool that you took that to the next level with grad school and everything. So, mm. yeah. yeah. And Sarah was definitely a good student too, you know, also very hardworking <laughs> and diligent. You, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must have been if you're in grad school. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to start off with just asking you to um, talk a little bit more about what helped you know that you wanted to pursue a path in grad school. Cause I remember you knowing kind of early on that you wanted to pursue grad school, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, in the beginning, like in my earlier college years, you know, I wasn't really sure what. Um, and then towards like, um, like the end of my junior year, the beginning of my senior year, when I was like, oh, I really have to decide now. Um, I still wasn't sure. I, I had three majors in college. I did um, anthropology, evolutionary biology, and classics. Um, and I just <laughs> wow, like, impressive. yeah, it was a fun time. <laughs> but um, I just wasn't sure if any of those fields were something I wanted to, you know, pursue a graduate degree in. Um, but my sorority big sister in Pi Beta Phi, she said that she was going into librarianship. And so she was one who kind of inspired me because I looked in, I looked into it. Um, and I thought like, wow, this is a, a job, you know, like a career path that has like a lot of opportunities. Um, and it's something that I could really see myself doing and see myself being passionate about because I really have like a lifelong connection to libraries. <clears throat> mm. uh, so that just really felt kind of natural. Because mm. uh, I think... I didn't even know that much about being a librarian like um, until I took a class where I learned about how you need a master's and like it's like this really cool field that I feel like a lot of people maybe don't know that much about in undergrad until you kind of have that connection. Yeah yeah and that's like you know, it's, it's too big of a conversation for, you know, just this podcast, but like librarianship and a lot of other mostly female dominated fields, you know, it's a lot of invisible labor, it's all behind the scenes, and people don't really understand how much really goes into it, because a, a lot of the things that I do aren't necessarily public facing. So people yeah. might not even realize that, you know, I'm doing so many other things when I'm not directly interacting with patrons or students. 
Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, on the surface, it looks like most of the work is just related to helping students, at least in an, like a, a, a campus library environment when really there's so much more that you are managing, at least from what you've told me, it sounds like there's a lot more that you're managing. Yeah. Yeah. Like project work and, and things like that behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, just, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but I think also just in our day and age as well, um, because so many things are becoming more available. Um, like I think people are more reliant on technology um, and reading things remotely, like not necessarily needing to go into a library quite as often as they used to. I think that could also affect the field as well, right? I would think. Not necessarily because, you know, the library, it's not always a physical place. I mean, you know, the library is, you know, also a physical place, but it's also resources and services that can be delivered remotely and have been delivered remotely for some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when we transitioned uh, to, um, you know, remote services for COVID, uh, it was a little bumpy in the beginning. I wasn't really involved in that because I started my job in December. Mm -hmm. Um, But like starting my job virtually delivering these services virtually, it felt really natural because there was already some infrastructure built in with like um uh like online chat to uh, connect with librarians and a lot of our databases being you know accessible online and uh you know having a really robust um like interlibrary loan service where people can Mm. request like book chapters and articles to be scanned to them if they're um you know only found physically in the library i've used the interlibrary loan service here as well as at case so often and I just realized like whoa there's so be a lot really <laughs> yeah. do. I didn't even think about that yeah. yeah I did do a bit of scanning when I was a master's student and working at libraries on campus and it's like mm-hmm. it's really laborious you know it's kind of tiring like tedious <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh so um I wanted to ask you Angel and feel free to chime in too Sarah since you have some experience as well um but I know for me I'm not certain if I want to go to grad school or not it's still like a possibility but I think a lot of people me included feel kind of overwhelmed by just like not only that decision but also the logistics involved so I was curious to learn more about like what that application process was like so kind of like the details of like the GRE or like how you kind of narrowed down that application process because it is really overwhelming especially if what you want to go into maybe has a few different types of programs like I know in Sarah's case in order to be a dietitian she could have picked like public health or like a master's in nutrition so I was just curious about that process. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of similar in librarianship too, where there's um, like the degree I got is an MLIS, a master's in library information studies. Um, But you could also get an MLS, which is a master's in library studies, or some places call it library Mm -hmm. science or an MSIS, which is a master's of science and information science. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's kind of similar, like lots of degrees kind of focused around the same like core um, to go into this field. Uh, yeah, and I, I actually just looked at the U.S. news list, uh, you know, their rankings for library schools, and I was looking at, you know, schools that were like in the top 15, um, and I applied to nine schools, um, 
And I, I applied to nine schools that were like from the top of the list that didn't require a secondary essay because I was feeling a little lazy. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And also my first, um, my first semester senior year when I was doing my applications, I also had like, you know, a really heavy course load, just like finishing up my three majors and writing my senior capstone as well. So, you know, I think in the end it worked out. You kind of had to prioritize that way and, you know, do what you could. <clears throat> And so I cast a really wide net. I applied to schools, you know, really from coast to coast, um, public, private, just really a variety. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, I'll I'll cast a wide net and I'll see like which ones I get accepted to. And then I'll narrow from there. Um, and then I got accepted to all of them. You know, sorry to sorry to brag. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. But it's also the, the um, programs typically aren't too competitive. So, you know, I was also <clears throat> sorry. It's also glad. Um but yeah, yeah. So from there, I just kind of made a pros and cons list thinking about like, oh, um, you know, is the city a place that I would like uh, to live in? Um, you know, what's special about the program? You know, what uh, unique opportunities could I take advantage of while I was there? Um, and I narrowed it down to three that I ended up visiting. Um, and one of the programs, which was like really highly ranked, um, you know, I went there and I loved the city it was in. I loved like the neighborhood the school was located in and the program itself just kind of fell flat for me. Like I just wasn't impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one that I went to visit, you know, I did not like the city. I thought the city was just so gloomy. There was nothing going on, just like the school, mm-hmm. um, even though the program was just so impressive to me and everybody there was so warm and welcoming. Uh, and the third school I visited, which was UW Madison, you know, it was like the Goldilocks, you know, just the perfect combination of like a really lively city, um, a really great campus and like a really awesome program. So in the end, like it was an easy decision to make. Like I was like, oh, yeah, UW Madison, I really like it here. So I ended up coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like you had quite a balance of like thinking about the surrounding community, thinking about the community within at the school itself, and then also just the educational experience, like the program, um, like the curriculum itself, and like what you'd be able to gain. Um, and I think that's kind of that's kind of how I approached looking at schools as well, is it's kind of, I think I thought of it in a more well-rounded sense of like, um, at least compared to undergrad, because undergrad, I think I was looking more for like the right fit um socially a little bit more whereas I think in I mean also education wise but I think I was really wanting to find like my home whereas I think with grad school even though I was looking for that too um I was really trying to find like where will I be able to pursue my interests in nutrition the most like where where do I see professors who I really want to collaborate with or um just for the dietetic internship portion of my program which is like the rotations I have to do to become a registered dietitian. It was like, where will I do those rotations? Um, what kinds of populations will I get to work with? Um, Cause each city and each program has a different, um, different access points to the community. So like you, I feel like it was a very well-rounded um, kind of decision, but, but I like that you, that you, um, <laughs> I like how you worded it. The, it was like the Goldilocks, um, mm-hmm. UW Madison kind of. <laughs> yeah, just um, right. Just right. Yeah. 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 yeah I like it that. sounds kind of like even undergrad, I felt kind of similarly where it really helped to visit the school and just picture your life there. I think physically visiting is like a huge advantage when choosing for sure. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And I actually didn't visit Case Western before I decided to go there. And I wasn't really? wanting to, like, I was really glad still that I, you know, decided to go to Case. Um, but I was like, oh, you know, maybe for my master's, I want to be a little more informed because, you know, like graduate school, and this kind of leads into the next question. There's like a lot more of, of life that you'll be doing. Like you'll be kind of like a more advanced adult and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not so it's like, tied to campus. That is true. Like you're not just gonna be on campus like you'll be living in the city more as like a young adult which I think is a big difference when applying um even though I feel like for me I really thought about the city but I know some people like it was kind of just the campus and like they didn't care if there was not much outside of it if it's a more like rural school so I think yeah it is different than undergrad oh I did want to ask like how was like the GRE type process for like studying for that because I know that's like kind of an intimidating factor because I know it is somewhat similar to the ACT but I think some people it's more like daunting I guess especially like in your case Angel when you had school to kind of balance on top of maybe studying for that as well yeah right you were still in your undergrad when you're applying Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I guess I would give the advice that, um, you know, a lot of master's programs now, they're waiving the GRE if you have like a good enough GPA. And my cat is drinking my water out of my mug. Oh, you gotta do that. Okay. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. (laughs) But but yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, for me, one of the schools I applied to and was really considering highly was UCLA and they required a GRE. Um, And so that was you know, really one of the only reasons why I took it. Otherwise, I just wouldn't have taken it and saved myself a lot of time, money and trouble. So that's really the advice that I would give, you know, unless you have like your heart really set on a school that requires the GRE, try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. If you like the programs equally, and they don't have it, it might be a reason to focus on those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for me, I did um, a lot of studying just the summer before my senior year. Um, that's when I took the GRE and got it out of the way. So I wasn't having to deal with it while I was, you know, in school. Uh, and it was, it was kind of sad. I'm like a numbers quantitative reasoning challenge person. And I studied three hours every day for like the quantitative analysis portion. And I still got a really bad score. Like I'm talking like close to 50%, you know, close to 50th percentile. Mm. yeah yeah kind of rough it's hard because I feel like those tests don't always equate to like your success at all no they don't at all but it's also kind of like the ACT where like it doesn't truly measure your intelligence but I guess it's just a way to have another data point on you but yeah I kind of have my own issues with tests like that (laughs) I think they should just I mean this is off topic but I think that standardized tests should not exist like I just don't think I don't think there's any need especially a scam it's all kind of a scam yeah I think also (laughs) I was this is in my head because I watched that documentary on Netflix about the the college admissions scandal and how they were able to plant um, test takers who could just do well. So I think that Mm -hmm. in and of itself shows that you can prepare in a certain way to like, to get a good score if you really wanted to and you have the money to do so. And it doesn't necessarily reflect your abilities in the workplace or in, 
in education. But anyway, that could be a whole other episode. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like really unfair that you have to pay for that test because people that can't necessarily take it like seven times, like some students are more disadvantaged as far as like their final score. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that are kind of corrupt with it. Definitely. For sure. For sure. When we were talking earlier about how you chose your school, I think that also brought up some of the differences between what you might be looking for in a graduate experience versus maybe an undergrad education experience. And I was curious if you could speak more to like the differences that you see between those two times in life, Angel. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I also kind of want to preface this with um, kind of laying out the difference between a practical and a research degree. Um, Like Sarah kind of mentioned earlier, like she and I are both doing practical degrees that lead to a a career in a certain field. Um, And so there's like a a rotational or a practicum or an internship internship component. And I did um, like library practica, kind of like an internship as like a professional development before graduation Um, whereas like a research degree um, like you might end up like doing a thesis like you might be doing really involved research over the course of your degree Mm. Um, and I think especially too with a practical degree um, where you're actively working in the community uh, that's a really big difference Um, you know I kind of had to find that balance between school and life Um, yeah, just, I was taking more classes than I needed to every semester, just so I could get more like classroom experience in while also working a variety of jobs around campus. Um, And so I guess even though in the beginning, I was looking for a city that I would, you know, really enjoy living in, I still spent most of my time around campus because I was, you know, going to school there and working there and, you know, living close to campus. Um, But it's, Yeah, I I think in a way you're just a lot more independent. Um, I don't know about Sarah's program, but for my program, the courses you could take, um, there wasn't a very strict path. It's like, oh, if you're interested in this field, these courses are like kind of recommended to you, Um, but it's really a lot more customizable, whereas opposed to undergrad to uh, complete like a major, you know, there's like a specific sequence you might have to take with some um, like electives that you can choose yourself. Mm. Yeah. And and one thing that um, I thought was interesting was that for my program, you just meet once a week for class, but it's like a two and a half hour long class session. So that was that I think that was really like a big uh, difference, just meeting only once a week and then, you know, doing a lot more work outside of class. Mm. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that that was the model that you had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, my my experience was different in terms of when you were saying like the freedom to kind of choose your classes as you go, because my program was kind of the opposite. It was like every quarter is laid out for me to make sure I get all my credits in because it's kind of a intensive like like it's not a super typical program. It's kind of like a rarer one where you have to, you have two years to get a degree and a full-on internship in, which is not the norm. Um, so unlike your experience, mine was a little more structured, but I don't think that's usually the case. I think another point that you kind of alluded to, Angel, is like being more independent was like a big theme of recognizing the differences between grad and undergrad. In undergrad, I think I I spent a lot of time in like, campus groups that I was involved in, like mostly music stuff, or just, I lived on campus. Um, 
you know, just, I, I hung out in campus buildings a lot more. I mean, especially with COVID that became impossible to do in, um, you know, in this program I was in, but I think I just felt a little more, I felt a little more like I'm just an independent adult who lives in, in Seattle, but who also like my job is school kind of, at least right now, um, mm -hmm. versus being like, my identity is I'm a student at Case, um, which is, I think, how I felt before in undergrad. Yeah, yes. Like I, I did the same. I lived on campus all four years. And like Sarah said, you know, like all my activities were based around campus. All my friends were like campus friends. And then yeah. um, starting my master's, you know, I had to sign my first ever apartment lease and, you know, like grocery shopping and cooking for myself all the time, like, you know, vacuuming, doing household things. Yeah, it wasn't like a super, it wasn't like a super huge adjustment, but it's like, oh, yeah, this is something I have to consistently do for myself all the time now. Mm -hmm. So kind of a change. Yeah. And just like to have an identity or I, I think establish an identity that isn't just about like, oh, I'm, I'm studying this and I'm doing this. I think there's a little more room for that when you're in grad school. Cause you're just, like I said, I felt like I was just more of an adult who was devoting my, my time to studying. It just didn't feel like that in undergrad. I felt like I was like, I was just, that was my whole life. My whole community mm -hmm. was like campus. Um, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And they also kind of, I guess I would also kind of add to that. It's like in undergrad, well, I guess, um, Sarah, cause you got your bachelor's in, in nutrition as well. So, you know, your bachelor's also kind of led to, is like leading to another, like it's another step on your career. Um, but for me, since my like career path and my master's degree didn't, um, like directly correlate with any of my bachelor's, um, master, uh, bachelor's majors. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, like when I was doing my master's, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like an adult who's taking the next step um, in my career path. Whereas, you know, as an undergrad, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a student trying to finish my degree. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess just more of the focus in my master's that, oh yeah, this degree is directly leading to the next step, like the next, um, like my career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, great point. Yeah. 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 I think also, I think one difference that I would assume is a thing is also like the students that you're working with, I think would probably be different ages maybe because I know most of my friends on campus in undergrad were my age or like a year or two older or younger. Um, I mean, there was always like a few students that were older that like commuted, but I think the majority of undergrads are more in the 18 to 23 ish range. So was that something you noticed of like having like full fledged adults in your classes and stuff? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like a lot of people coming back to um, kind of change careers, um, you know, a lot of people who were parents and, uh, you know, people who, you know, otherwise like really were settled into their lives and were just kind of coming back to school. Yeah. So that was definitely kind of interesting. Just the, just the much wider age range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was one of the highlights of my time in grad school was getting to interact with people from, um, just different life stages a little bit more. Um, I mean, I liked being around people who were all mostly my age, but I think there's value in meeting people who are, yeah, like Angel said, parents, or maybe this is like their second career or they haven't been in school for 10 years. Um, like, I feel like I learned a lot from people who had a lot of practical experience. Cause I I've never been in like a, 
super professional role, at least working. I've mostly just worked like service jobs and not that that's not professional, but I think I just hadn't worked in like a, a career directly related to a degree before. Um, and a lot of people in my program were like professionals for 10 years or something came back. Like one of my good friends, um, she went to culinary school and is like a professional chef and then just was like, I'm going to study nutrition. And so she had all this, this wealth of knowledge about food that then she brought into conversations and about like restaurant employees rights and things like that, that we talked a lot about in my public health classes, um, that I, that really opened my eyes to a lot of things I wouldn't have known because of my limited kind of life experience, I think compared to some of the other people. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and that really applied in my program too, because there are like specialized fields of librarianship where you might be expected to have a, another degree. Like um, for law librarians, a lot of the case, a lot of the times they'll ask for a JD in addition to your uh, library degree. Or like if you're an art librarian, you know, a lot of art librarians also have advanced degrees in art. So it was always interesting to hear from my classmates who, um, you know, I did have a number of classmates who were either doing law school and library school at the same time or, wow. you know, previously practiced law. And yeah, like kind of like Sarah said, they were able to bring just such a unique perspective and bring a lot of other knowledge into the, into the classroom that a lot of the other people didn't have. Yeah, that sounds really interesting because, yeah, I think I haven't really experienced that yet, like in undergrad. Most people were just like figuring out what they want to do and just straight from high school. So I feel like that is a cool perspective you can gain in grad school specifically. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking about all the like positive things about grad school. And I, I also kind of want to touch on some of the challenges too, because I think, I think it can be, um, difficult in, in many ways as well to be a grad student. Um, and Angel, I'm curious to hear about like what some of the challenges you faced throughout your time in your master's were like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things was that um, it was kind of a shock going into this program on this campus where um, like it was not as diverse as the communities I had lived in before, like not as diverse as Case Western, not as diverse as my hometown. And that mm -hmm. was definitely a bit challenging at first. Um, I found it kind of hard to connect with my classmates. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for a while I was really struggling to like make friends. Um, and yeah, it, it, there was also the aspect that I felt like my coursework wasn't really challenging, like it didn't really feel meaningful, like a lot of it just felt like, oh, it's just another task I have to get done, but I'm not necessarily, you know, like gaining a lot from it. Um, but that kind of changed as um, like time went on, I was able to find more classes that were tailored to my interests. Um, and I was able to, you know, eventually find some friends uh, who I connected well with and are still my friends now after we've all graduated. Uh, and also like being like a bigger city person living in Madison, where like, if you go 40 miles, 40 minutes in any direction, it's like rural. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel, you know, it's kind of spooky. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very much like a college town. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even though it's the, the capital of the state and Madison is definitely like a happening place, but as a student without a car, I didn't really have like, uh, ways to get around as much. Mm hmm. Yeah, I could see that being challenging, like just transitioning from a different kind of, um, I mean, not only just the city aspect, but like you were saying, just trying to find people and connections where you could feel a little more um, at home and like supported. Um, 
That makes a lot of sense. I feel like that'd be difficult. And especially if it was a less diverse place um, compared to what you're used to. Yeah. Primarily for me, I think the, the big thing was in Rach and I have done a whole episode about imposter syndrome, but I think that's a very common um, experience for probably most grad students um, mm-hmm. to face at least at some point, just because like we've been talking about, you're more, you're getting deeper into your field and like, there's more of a light at the end of the tunnel of like, when you're going to be able to do this job. And I think sometimes for me, it was difficult to imagine myself actually saying like, oh, I'm the dietitian," um, and like actually being an expert about something felt very mm-hmm uh, hard to believe or something. So I think that, that got in my way at times throughout my classes, if I wasn't able to deliver perfect, um, perfectly, I guess I am just kind of a perfectionist. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes I would worry like, Oh, does this mean that I'm not going to be able to like do the job when I'm done? Um, just cause there are more practical experiences that you have to just kind of learn from rather than judge your, I don't know how to describe it. I'm just thinking about in my internship now. I've had experiences where like what where I was with a patient in the hospital and I felt like our conversation was really um not how I wanted it to go. Um mm-hmm. and I find myself being like I'm an imposter, like why am I here? I I don't really know anything. Um but I think it's reminding yourself at least for me it's been helpful to remind myself that like but I'm learning right now like I'm a student. That's why it's school. Like you have to have these experiences that are uncomfortable to then be able to, to feel confident in your ability to do the job later. But have you ever felt imposter syndrome, Angel, in your program? Not exactly in my program, um, but my first year I took a class outside of uh, my department. I took a classics course. It was a 900 level seminar um, with like classics PhD candidates, a lot of who were more experienced. And that was like really intimidating, you know, because yeah, just they were they were reading it a much higher level than me. Um, the articles that we were discussing in class, a lot of them had like more background knowledge of and I was seeing them for the first time, just like these mm-hmm. scholarly conversations about the text. And yeah, that was definitely, you know, kind of intimidating, but I'm so glad I, you know, I'm so glad I did and I'm so glad I pushed through it. Um, it was definitely really valuable, definitely really valuable. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say now in my current job, I feel like a little more of that imposter syndrome aspect. Because um, in my, in my uh, well, like amongst my colleagues, my librarian colleagues, some of them have um, like other graduate degrees as well. Um, and a lot of them are just, uh, well, you know, like, I feel like this is the case for everything, but there's so much that school doesn't prepare you for, you know, I could not have learned all the skills I needed in two years to be like, a good functioning librarian. So I'm learning a lot of that now. And um, like, I'll, I'll be working with another librarian, they're showing me all these tips and tricks, and they're able to complete something so quickly. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm supposed to be a professional, be a professional as well. But I could not like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't perform at that level. But mm. that's, that's, you know, I keep on reminding myself from early career, I'm only six months into my current job, you know, and I've got like, pretty much a lifetime ahead of me to, to, you know, keep learning new things, keep adapting my skill set, And yeah, staying on top of, uh, you know, new developments. Mm. Yeah, that's just a good overarching point is like you're not going to learn everything in a grad program even if you're going to like medical school and you're there Mm -hmm. for you know with your residency and everything you could be there for like 10 years I think there's still a lot to learn just by doing the job and like having the background knowledge to support you in it 
Um, but just kind of when you get to a workplace, there's obviously so much more to learn unique to that place. And yeah, so that's a really good point. Yeah, I think I could also imagine imposter syndrome if some of your um, either coworkers or even your classmates are like having other master's degrees or like a ton of like um, experience in the job world it, since you both were kind of younger getting into ma your master's. So mm. yeah, I feel like, yeah, always reminding yourself that it does take a lot of time, like years to even accumulate the knowledge some people have. And it's not you not knowing, it's like you just need that time and experience under your belt to really um, know as much as you can. <laughs> I was also wondering um, what you did outside of class, because like we've been saying with grad school, there's um, you're just more of a professional like adult also who happens to be going to school. Whereas I think when you're an undergrad student, like your whole life is like campus, all of that. So I was wondering what you guys did outside of class whether it was on campus or just in the community of like Madison and Seattle in general. I had a lot of jobs around campus because um, you know, like especially my program but during your master's this is when you really need to be doing a lot of resume building um, so you can get into your first job after your master's uh, and I was also involved in the association of Asian American graduate students uh, which was you know kind of a more fun social outlet like we would go mm -hmm. to Asian restaurants together and, you know, grab boba, go to cultural events and, you know, celebrate holidays. Uh, and I also served and currently am serving as the alumna advisor for uh, the Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin chapter of Pi Beta Phi. And uh, yeah, that, that's been a really fantastic experience. It's so fun. And I'm sorry if you can hear my cat scratching in the background. He's, <laughs> I can yeah, hear trying it. To, trying to, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's just trying oh, to be disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I was about to say, like um, staying involved with my sorority as an alumna, it's been really rewarding, um, you know, getting to mentor all these uh, like young college students and mm. kind of supporting like the, uh, the chapter. It's been a lot of fun. Mm. <clears throat> And uh, for a while, I was also going to hot yoga, which I really enjoyed. I had like a membership at a local studio, um, but since it was close to campus, it was like mostly students, uh, which felt kind of weird. I was like, oh, you know, I'm probably like the oldest person in this room. You know, what if, what if I recognize somebody who I like helped at the library the other day? <laughs> but, but it was fun. It was fun. Unfortunately, I had to stop going to hot yoga because of COVID. But Aww. yeah, just, just how it goes. Yeah. So you had like, okay. just, it sounds like some other outlets outside of your cohort, like in school where you were able to socialize and just like have other roles besides being a student. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Madison, uh, well, like Epic is is here outside of Madison in Verona. And so many people from Case came to work here, um, like after graduation. Epic. So I had a few. Yeah. Right. So I've many heard people. of it. I, I've had a I had a few like case friends in the area we were able to meet up like you know here and there but you know once you're out of college every well I guess even in college you know everybody's schedule is so mm -hmm. different yeah it wasn't it's not like I was able to see them like all the time mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah I feel like you're at least in undergrad too I feel like you were always really involved in a range of different kinds of activities and I think 
that's great to do in grad school too, because I think in a way that's one thing I, I wouldn't say I regret. I feel like my time kind of got cut short in Seattle because of the pandemic. Like I was here for maybe like six months or so. And then but from starting to then I went home for spring break and then just like never returned until kind of recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I kind of like wish that I had maybe done some more. I mean, I still have time, but I think like I had really wanted to do some volunteering as like an outside activity or maybe just be involved yeah. in something on campus. Cause I had little experiences here and there. Like I have like a mentee for so- the school of public health or um, I, I TA'd, which is, I mean, and still, it's still related to school, but, but, um, it was like a job I had for a few quarters, like things like that. Um, I was able to do outside of class, but I think besides going to school, the majority of the things I did outside were like social. It was more like just hanging out with people, my cohort that I grew close to, um, or just like exploring the city. Cause there's a lot to do here, like going hiking or on walks on the weekends. Um, cause for me, this program is very intense. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like I needed that like balance of just doing something else besides, um, school. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I'd say that the social part is also really valuable because that's like, you know, it's, it's still like, it, I don't know, maybe it sounds kind of bad, but the social part is also yeah. networking. Like, you know, you're creating networks with, within your cohort and that's like a big mm-hmm. international network for when you all graduate and go into the field. Like you'll always know the people that you um, started with and like you'll kind of remember them. And as they move through your career, mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll always have those networks and those people to kind of contact and, and you know, catch up with. That's such a good point. Yeah. Have you found mm-hmm. yourself... I mean, it's only been, it's been a year since you finished, but like, have you found yourself reconnecting with people or talking to people just about career steps as well? Like since you've been done with your degree? Uh, Not so much, I guess, because like you said, it's only been a year. A lot of us, um, you know, some of the people in my cohort, because the pandemic, even now they're still, you know, on the job market, they're still trying to find that first position. Yeah. Um, but for my friends who, you know, now we're all early career, we talk about um, like, you know, how, how strange it is onboarding virtually, like starting our jobs in this current climate. Um, and I've had friends, I've had, oh, I've had one friend from my master's who she's now in her second job and she's moving back to Madison. Like she went to another state for her first job and now she's moving back to Madison. Mm-hmm. And, um, you you know, we're making plans to, to hang out and catch up when she moves back. So that's, that's really nice. You know, I'm really glad that I'm able to uh, keep up with a lot of my classmates, like through LinkedIn or through social media. Um, and that way, like, even if we weren't like, you know, best friends when we were in the master's program together, at least we're still like, you know, we're still, we're still professional connections in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the value of grad school, not only the degree, but the people you meet could be really important um whether it's your teachers or if you did an internship if you really connected with your bosses there and just the cohort itself I feel like there's a lot of similar to undergrad but like the people are really helpful to know as well as the material (laughs) itself um and yeah even if you weren't best friends with someone like if for whatever reason you moved to the city they lived in, like you have that initial contact for the job world or even just for a friend. (laughs) Yeah. That, that reminds me too, of just our conversation about the differences between grad and undergrad. I think I viewed my relationships with 
people a little bit differently, um, especially with professors. I think in graduate school, I felt more like we were, I mean, they were still obviously like the people who um, like were managing me when I was a TA, for example, but like, I felt like we were more peers than I felt in undergrad and just more like connections of people I could reach out to when I have questions about jobs or if I need references. I mean, that applied in undergrad, but I think it's just a different experience uh, in graduate school. And, and same with what you said, Angel, like the people, my cohort, even though a lot of them are really like close friends of mine now, um, we also have talked about, I mean, often we're like, oh, like when, when we get jobs, you know, probably scattered around the country, we have to like stay in touch. And, you know, if we have questions about certain patients or things like that, like just being open to reaching out and asking like how you've handled this and your if we're in similar, um, environments. Um, so that's also, I think a big difference is like, you view your relationships a little bit differently too. Yeah, for sure. And especially I think when you're an undergrad, if you're not really sure what you want to do and it's not like, you know, this is the exact field I want to be in. Cause I think a lot of undergrad students are like still not sure. So I think it's like in grad school, you're a little more sure. So you're more, I think, seeking those strong connections um, versus if you're taking like a wide range of classes, you don't really know if that's going to matter to know the professor of like, whatever class it was. Mm. Yeah. And I was also wanting to hear more about just, you had mentioned this briefly before I kind of went on that tangent, but um, <laughs> like just about your, cause you graduated in the midst of 2020. So like in the midst of, you know, the pandemic and just job shortages in general, as a result of that, I'm sure. Um, and just uncertainty about the future. And I was curious just how that felt and also how you managed and what you decided to do, um, when you were done with school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely very scary, very nerve wracking. Um, but I just considered myself so fortunate because, um, you know, my mother, she was able to help support me at the time. Um, and I also, like I mentioned in my intro, um, I was interning at the Center for Railroad Photography and Art, and they were actually able to hire me and keep me on full time um, because there was a lot of project work that needed to be done. And so um, I had a job while I was looking for something a little more permanent. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the job that I'm currently in now, I just kind of happened upon the posting for it. Um, and so I'm currently in a diversity residency, um, which is a program that uh, like takes early career librarians and helps them develop a lot of like it's a lot of professional development. Um, like it's kind of like a foot in the door, like even if you didn't come into the position with like all the skills needed to do this kind of work, like in a non-resident, like a non-residency context. If that makes sense, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm having the chance to, to learn all these skills. So I just like, you know, I'm just incredibly, incredibly lucky that all the pieces kind of fell into place. Um, it was definitely, you know, like definitely mentally very tough, just applying to jobs almost every single day, um, you know, just trying to get something like anything anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. But um, like I mentioned earlier, like a lot of my um, classmates that I graduated with, a lot of them are still on the market. Some of them are still searching. And, you know, definitely my heart goes out to all of them and, you know, everybody else who maybe lost a job or still like trying to find one uh, in the current situation. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I also, um, like in the spring that I graduated, my uh, department, they mentioned that they were going to reopen PhD applications, um, like as another option for students who might be interested. And while I was doing my master's, I always had this thought that I wanted to work for a little bit and then go back for my PhD. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I was like, oh, I might as well just apply now. Um, but you know, it just, it just wasn't the right timing. You know, I put all my applications in and they were like, oh, you know, um, we said we were, we would open it up for like as an option for people who were interested, but now it's just not the right time to be taking new students. So, you know, it's just kind of, kind of sad to hear, but it's, it's all good. You know, at least now I'm kind of going with my original plan in a sense where I'm in Mm. a residency, it's a fixed term, it's a three-year appointment. Um, And then after that, you know, I, I can hopefully go back to school. Um, and yeah, I've just been interested in pursuing a PhD just to, you know, push myself to succeed more, uh, further academically. Um, you know, I'd be the first person in my family to, you know, gain that level of degree. Mm. Well, I was also the first in my family to gain a master's degree, you know, oh. but you know, I want to take it another awesome. step further. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, advance my career as well. So yeah, something, something I'm still, I, something I still have my set side. Yeah sight set on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you at least got to kind of, I mean, I'm sure that was probably disappointing in the moment, but you got to maybe see more about the application process as well for PhD, mm-hmm. which is probably helpful. Definitely. Definitely. Do you like see yourself um, applying to UW Madison for that? Or do you see yourself opening it up to more schools for PhD? I'm really, I'm really hoping to stay here actually, because um, like the UW Madison High School, like it's a pretty big name in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel like I was able to form good relationships with the faculty while I was here. And I feel like they are really, you know, committed to student success. And I, it's kind of like, I'm just more familiar with it. I know that it's a great place um, with a great reputation. And like a lot of the students from the program, you know, they have great outcomes like out in, out in the world. Yeah. And plus, I've got a, a mortgage on my condo now, you know, wow. so I'm not looking to, to move. <laughs> mm-hmm. What makes yeah. sense? What PhD is it? Is it in library science or? Yeah, also in library and information studies. Mm-hmm. But it's um like the department. It's it's so broad, like the, the range of PhD students who are there. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I know right now there's a PhD candidate who's studying. I think he's studying like 15th century books, like physical, you know, physical books. Wow. Um, and there was another one who was studying like education in Brazil. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's like there's a really wide range of interests within, within the department. And I think it's really great that the department can, you know, support such a great range. And also it's on a campus where, um, you know, you could take classes outside the department to mm. really, you know, boost your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Do you know what specific focus you would want to do? Like any type of literature or like region of the world that you want to study? Yeah, I like um, when I first applied that, um, like last spring, I was thinking like, oh, you know, it'd be really interesting to study the um, like uh, fifth century Greek state archives at the Metron in Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm like in my job, I'm like, oh, you know, there's so many things that are up and coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many like new legal, moral, ethical issues that are coming up with the advent of like new technology. Um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll give it like another thought. Like I'll, I'll keep thinking about what I want to focus on for my PhD. But 
Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's honestly something that kind of uh, is anxiety inducing. Like, what if I don't have the right topic <laughs> yeah. to devote like five yeah. years to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Five mm-hmm. plus years. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a big decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really admire um, people who go for PhDs just because it is a huge commitment in terms of time, but also just depth in a topic like like because in Mm -hmm. masters I mean you are you are narrowing in on a topic or like an area a career focus um but in in in, like you were saying too our degrees were more practical practically based versus like research based whereas in PhD I feel like you're just really getting so deep and detailed into a very specific area of study and you become kind of immersed in it um Mm -hmm. and that's just so cool. I don't, I just don't know if I have the, um, stamina. It's intimidating. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, and, and this is something that you, you can add in. Like I, and I just keep thinking to myself too, like I've had professors at Case and at UW Madison who didn't start their PhDs until later in life. Like my, um, my master's advisor, she had three master's degrees and a PhD. You know, she spent so many years in school and it wasn't until like a bit later that she, you know, got her PhD and started doing the work that she's doing now. So I always think to myself like, oh yeah, you know, there's time, you know, I could, (laughs) you could keep working before going back. It doesn't have to play out in like a certain way, but, you know, because it is such like a long time, I feel like it'd be better to do earlier rather than later. Just, just me personally. Yeah. I think that goes into one question. It's not on here, but, um, like to people maybe that are not sure about if they should jump right into grad school or if they should take a few years off or even just a gap year like what kind of advice do you have for like making that decision because I know it's it's kind of like debated between people some people are like I'm so glad I jumped right in and other people are like I'm really glad I waited because then I did xyz so know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. And I think it's going to like vary so much from person to person. Yeah. Like for me, I knew that was going to be my next step out of undergrad. I was like, you know, mentally prepared. I was really ready to go. Um, and yeah, I guess it's also like another piece of advice that I would offer is that even if you get your master's or like, you know, even a PhD, if you get a degree in a certain field, it doesn't lock you in you know, you can always change your mind later on, go into like a different career and just, um, you know, remember that skills will transfer um, from like a previous degree or previous career. So, you know, don't feel like, oh, you have to, I'm going to get a master's in so-and-so and and I'm going to be like doing that for the rest of my life and have no way out. You know, that's, that's not the case. You can always switch paths later on. Yeah. I think I feel that way, that pressure in a way of like, I need to make the right decision because if I get a grad degree, I like have to stay in it, but like it is flexible. And again, things don't have to be like extremely related to get a job in that field. Like you can apply skills in various ways, but yeah, I think it's more pressure because I mean, undergrad is also optional, but I think in at least the community I was raised in, it was sort of like everyone like 95 percent of people go to undergrad whereas grad school it feels more of like a personal decision it's not as like obvious of a step so I think it is intimidating to embark on that and know what's right 
definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think also going back to that question you had asked about time out of school um, before grad school, I think like Angel said, it is something that's just individual. I think for me personally, I just, I only took one year out. Um, And for me, that was, I think the best choice because I had some time to just, I had a couple of different jobs and I, I gathered a few experiences I wanted to have before going to graduate school. Um, and I had time to kind of like rest and recuperate a little from my very busy undergrad experience. Um, and like, think about applying to schools when I had a little more time on my hands. Um, so I think for some people like my, like myself, that, that might be a good path. Some people wait more than one year. Like, I think it just depends on the person. Um, and then like Angel, you wanted to go straight in. So yeah, I think there's just a range of desires with that, but I just, I've just kind of chilled. Like I, I worked at a coffee shop. I, I had an internship. I, I, I saw friends a lot and like saw family a lot, which was really a huge pro of that time. Like I really got closer with like my grandmas and my parents, like things like that, that I think were very valuable for me at that point. But, but everyone's different. I was going to just bring up the point of um, like finances, like thinking about whether to take like a gap, like a couple years off or to just mm-hmm. go straight into it, you know, think about what you're able to reasonably afford. Um, you know, I was very, very uh, fortunate in that my mother, you know, she, she paid for my degree. She supported me throughout the whole process. Um, but I know that I had classmates who knew they wanted to do this degree, but they decided to work and put aside money so they could like support themselves through it. So yeah, also something to think about. Yeah. Finances are a huge thing to consider with grad school in general. Um, And I think for the purposes of this episode, we didn't want to go too in depth with it just because it is such an individualized situation. But um, I think in my case, it did affect my choice of where I went Um, just because like where I ended up going to school, there were a lot of TA opportunities like teaching assistantships um, and they provided a lot of funds for like they would help with tuition if you were a TA as well as gave gave us stipends. So um just yeah, as we're on that topic, I think that, that, is that did really affect my choice too. And I didn't think to consider that earlier, but um alongside of of course the actual program, like the classes, but the finances. And yeah, it's really nice that you had that chance to work in the TA opportunity to get your a portion of your degree paid for. So I think looking into that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like a big piece of advice I would leave people with. Thinking about creative ways to assess which school is best for you, I think is really important. Like thinking about ways you can support yourself financially, and um, like in addition to just like the degree itself and the the city, like there's just being strategic too, I think is something to consider um, because yeah, I didn't realize that that was the case because it's not advertised widely that like, hey, you can get a lot of money for TAing. But then I tried to just connect with current students as much as I could. And I learned that, hey, there's all these TA ships and like all the nutrition students, almost all of them jump on it. And there's plenty of spots. So, and whereas the other school I was really closely considering, I asked that question of their students. They were like, oh, you know, like there's some, but they're kind of competitive and, you know, 
that kind of, like, it just didn't seem like as common to pursue that in, in their cohort. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's definitely a pro, um, of being, even though Seattle is very expensive, like there was some financial gain, mm-hmm. but yeah, my program was more like um, like the other program that Sarah described where there were some opportunities, but again, it was very competitive and very limited. So mm-hmm. um, I did look into those a little bit, but it just, um, you know, like it just didn't work out with my schedule. So instead I just pursued other on-campus jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you, sure. were, you had so many jobs. Yeah, I remember. yeah lots, of, lots of jobs here and there. <laughs> yeah. Just making it work though. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of like uh, <laughs> um, a- another thing that I'm thinking about now um, that I've started my, you know, like my first professional job is that like the years that I spent um, like pursuing my master's, I wasn't really able to put a lot, put aside a lot of savings. I wasn't able to put a lot towards retirement. Um, and that's just something I'm thinking now, like as a woman, you know, with the wage gap, like women are often aren't able to, you know, have as much in retirement savings. And even mm-hmm. though I, I think that it was still a worthwhile investment, um, I just wish I had thought about it a little more and maybe like more intentionally put more more money aside into like a Roth IRA or something of the type when I was a student, like starting that mm-hmm. as soon as I could have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great Very point. True. Yeah. Yeah. Just money in general is a very daunting topic. I think for a lot of folks, for like sure. it's just Real. Like, very overwhelming. <laughs> um, so I just want to say like, I know we didn't really touch on it too much, but it is a huge, it is a huge part of the grad experience, just weighing your, your options, um, and like being creative, I guess, about how you can save, like you were saying, Angel, and also just find opportunities to, to get assistance. Um, do you have any like big advice you want to leave people with besides, um, these points just about for somebody thinking about grad school or for someone who's on the fence, maybe like, should I go, should I not, um, like what kinds of considerations there are, um, with that choice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess aside from what we've kind of already discussed with like finances and finding like, um, the right, the right, uh, like curriculum and program for you, I think also just, you know, thinking about, um, like what region of the country you might want to be in after your master's. Cause that's what I found too. Like a lot of people from my program, they tend to stay uh, like around here in the Midwest, a lot of them are from the Midwest originally. And um, from what I hear, that's just kind of, it kind of sounds like that's, you know, what's common across the country. It doesn't mean you're super locked in, but it's just like, oh yeah, your program's really well known in this area. They already have like certain built-in connections. So you can get like internships at certain sites or whatnot. So, mm-hmm. you know, that might be something you're, you might want to think about, like, oh, if you're already living in the Midwest and you know what you want to stay here, you know, there's not really any reason for you to, like, go to Los Angeles for grad school unless, you know, there's, like, a really specific program or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice, yeah, because I think a lot of the connections you make professionally throughout your the course of your degree can also help you land jobs, too, um, and usually they have more local connections. I mean, a lot of the professors at my school have been all over the place. So I feel like if I really wanted to move out of this, you know, area, I could maybe get some help with that, but it's definitely, I agree. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think especially if you um, are, I don't know how it works with certain fields, 
but like I know some it's like you're only licensed to do your work in a certain state so I think considering that is helpful like I don't know how it works with library science yeah do you have to get a license in that state uh not for um like academic libraries like which is what I'm in but if you're a school librarian um I think you have to get licensed through like uh whoever governs like the school district areas that you want to work in okay yeah Mm -hmm. because I know that's something certain fields have to consider like if you move to a state away from your education you might have slightly different requirements that you have to end up getting later or switch over so that could be kind of confusing Mm. Do you have like, like a primary piece of advice you would leave people with, like for someone like, like a final thought, I guess? Yeah, like if you do take the step and decide to go to graduate school, whatever degree you're pursuing, like really make the most of it, you know, like definitely don't strain yourself, like definitely, you know, take time for self-care and have that balance. Um, But I feel like when you're like connected with the university, you have just access to so many resources, like different activities and, um, you know, meeting so many interesting people from around the world. Like, yeah, it's definitely a good idea to you know, if you have extracurriculars available to you, join those. Um, if your university has like shared governance, um, meaning that anybody can join a committee to oversee something that happens at the university, like definitely do that, you know, find ways to like volunteer around the committee, a community. Um, and I feel like, you know, maybe this is more like, you know, my personality and I think Sarah's personality too. We're just the kind of people who like to be busy, be involved and like be social. But I feel like that, like, it really doesn't hurt, you know, like you're, you're making connections, you're having a fun time and yeah, like you're really making the most of your, your time at the university. So that's, that's what I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I echo. Yeah. Yeah. I think- and just like prioritizing that balance, like you mentioned, like it can be really easy to get very sucked into school when it is, when you are taking like challenging classes and just you know, like it can kind of take, at least for me at points, it kind of took over my time. Um, And I think just constantly reminding myself that like, this is an important part of my life, but there's other things I can also pursue like friendships and relationships with other people. And like you said, maybe extracurricular activities or just self-care and like my own relationship with myself being also just as equal of a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes got lost for me, but I think this whole process has been learning, helping me learn to do that in the midst of a busy schedule. Yeah. So work-life balance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, though. Wow. This was really helpful for me hearing all of this because, Great. yeah, I, again, I don't know if I'm going to end up going to grad school, but it's helpful to have more advice for the future if I do decide <laughs> that it's right. <laughs> yeah, I think talking to people is key, like talking to current students or recent students. Um, that's another piece of advice, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe when you do get your PhD, we could have an updated PhD related episode. <laughs> many, many years in the future. Like it'll be years. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe not a when you're done, but when you're in it. <laughs> oh, yes. Still a couple of years out. Still a couple yeah. of years out. You know? It'll be your fourth, 400th episode or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. We're back with Angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to just hearing how, um, like 
your educational um, just journey, I guess, continues and like where you find yourself choosing to focus in on in your PhD. And like, I'm just really excited for you. Um, And I also just want to thank you for being on our show because Mm -hmm. we've wanted to have you on for quite a while um, and just weren't quite sure how this episode would shape up in terms of like how we would talk about graduate school in a way that's just not too niche. Like it could be universal to anybody, but also getting into the nitty gritty of our experiences. So I think it was really nice. I feel like you had a nice balance of that. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And it was just great to chat about it. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. No, it was so much fun. And yeah, I'm I'm so glad, Sarah, too, to hear more about your experiences. And Rachel, I'm glad that, you know, some of it was helpful to you. And I look forward to, uh, you know, keeping up with whether or not you decide to go and what you decide to do. Yeah. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Angel. <laughs> all right. So um, we hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as we did. Um, like we said, Angel just has this really calm, pleasant, um, I don't know, just energy. And so it was really nice to reconnect and chat and um, hear mm-hmm. more about her experience in graduate school, because I think it's really insightful to hear about one person's experience especially if you are looking yeah especially I thank you too for kind of having that other perspective of two different sort of experiences and the similarities and differences I think were interesting to hear about from my end um and yeah Angel I think just brought a lot of good insights and I don't know I'm just excited for her and hope that again I want to do that update like PhD episode someday (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like that would be really cool yeah I think it's definitely in her future for sure Mm -hmm. um I could see her being a PhD student like I visualize it yeah like really entrenched in a specific area of research and just learning and sharing what she's learned with others I just think I see it it too yeah Sarah, I want to know, do you have any recommendations for the caffeine fix of the week? Yes, I do. (laughs) Um, I am going to recommend London Fogs, which are one of my favorite drinks. It's not coffee. It's actually tea. But um, Mm -hmm. if anyone's a fan of Earl Grey out there, it's an Earl Grey tea, often with vanilla in it and then steamed Mm. milk. Um, It's just so good. Very like warm and inviting I think um and Earl Grey's if you haven't had that they have this kind of like the bergamot in it it kind of reminds me of like lavender or it has like Mm -hmm. some interesting flavors um so not for everyone maybe but definitely worth a try it's it's just really good Um, I tried yours a couple of times and I always liked it I've never ordered it though yeah yeah, it's really good. And yeah. it's it has caffeine because it's black tea, but not quite to the extent of coffee. So sometimes if I want like an afternoon pick me up, um, mm. so go for a linen fog versus, you know, just like you're not like squirrely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there you go. Hope you all try it. Yeah, but um, hope you all try a London fog one of these days. Um, and with that, in the meantime, as always, we are 
really excited and open for anybody to check out our social media. We have an Instagram at Mocha's in the Meantime podcast, Facebook, and then we also have our website with our new-ish blog. So if you have an interest in reading the blog or even contributing to it, please shoot us an email or even DM us on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to have new guest writers. We had a lot of fun connecting with Julie about her guest post. So if you want to be the next guest, just let us know. (laughs) Please do. Yeah. And also leave us a review on Apple podcasts. If you have a moment, it really helps um, just spread the word about who we are and we'd love to hear feedback. So um, if you have a moment, please go for that as well. You can find the button on our website in the upper right-hand corner, write us a review, click on that, Mm -hmm. give us some stars, give us some reviews. (laughs) Love love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we are so excited to see you guys next week and peace. Peace.